What if you were born with a disease that you always knew would kill you? And then what if all of a sudden you were given a second chance? Well, that's exactly what happened to me. And it's the question that we explore on the new podcast series, Breathless from Snack Labs. Join me, Jeremy Saunders, for a series that explores what it means to live and die, to love and to lose, and what it's like to have your whole life turned upside down and the unexpected challenges that come with a life-saving drug. You can listen to Breathless now, wherever you get your podcasts. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Baby, hello, hello. Uh, ready for another week of podcasting? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know anything anymore. I think so. I think I'm more ready than I have been in in the last couple months. And you have been you've been all sorts of fucked, eh? I'm gonna <clears throat> post just for our Patreons a photo, a selfie I took of myself yesterday at the dermatology clinic. Oh my god! I sent it to a handful of close friends just because. Only you and like Todd have actually seen yeah. the extent of what's been going on on my body. And um, and when I took a photo of it and I sent I sent it to your mom. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. She was like, <clears throat> she must have said so. She must have had a whole bunch to say. She said, did you eat something you don't normally eat? And I was like, I thought it was that simple, but you no. know what? I think that's good Patreon content. Uh, folks, if you want to. Watch our foreplay segments. You can watch them on Patreon now, patreon.com slash turn me on. So you can see Bridie and I talking about this. And apparently you're about to get uh, patrons. You're going to get a semi nude (laughs) that looks like Bridie is showing all of her nipples. And I mean, all 125 nipples that she currently has all over her body. 
It's not they they're 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 weird though. They're they're like the outer rim of the circle is raised as opposed to like the nip. middle of the circle. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah I get There's you. There's no nipple in the middle. There's just a series of small nipples. What's that called? The the um the outside part of your nipple? That's the uh, uh, um Areola? With, are, areola. That's is that it. the right word? Yeah, that is it. Okay, yeah. fantastic. So you're you have raised areolas all I like over that your word. body. Areola. I'm I I would name my first daughter Areola. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, I wonder so, at what point they that child would would go. Wait a minute, <laughs> probably in like biology grade yeah, nine. Yeah, it's a good question. I don't and know. All thirty five people in the class, yeah. would just turn and look at her. Um. So, but if people haven't been tuning in, if you're tuning in for the first time in a little while, uh, Bridie's been having some very severe problems with 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 her skin. I'll give you a quick peek there on <clears throat> the, while Jeremy's talking. I'll and, uh, <clears throat> and it's been, it's been fucking wild to see, like to watch kind of pan out, but it's, you know, it looks very painful. You can't really see it actually. Um, and so you can see that <laughs> you can see that on the screen. I just, I just saw it. Okay. Um, uh, anyway, you got a diagnosis yesterday. Yes. Nebular eczema. Numular. Numular. Yeah. Numular is a... Uh, That's a word that does not... I don't like the taste of that word. Num- numular? nummy. Ugh. No, it comes from the word coin. So circular. Right. Yeah. So I have... Uh, uh, and, and what's interesting that the dermatologist was telling me yesterday when he diagnosed me <clears throat> that um, it's usually symmetric. So it's usually on both sides of the body equally. Well, that's good. I like symmetry. Yeah. Right. There's something satisfying about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, he took one look. Actually, there were two men in the room for anyone who's not comfortable, like being totally naked in front of strangers. This would have been a horrifying nightmare, but I was like, just, did you get naked? Oh yeah. You just, well, I had underwear on. Right. And I had one of those, one of those gowns on backwards, but they, they lifted it up and they looked, I flipped to front and back. They looked all over. Right. Um, because I'm literally covered in these little coin shaped uh, like blisters and like the other day they were oozing and the like, other day try like the last fuck. couple of weeks so it's been unbearable because they ooze and then i can't put clothes on and i'm freezing cold all the time anyway so i'm just walking around my house shivering like obsessed with all of the pet hair like i yeah. vacuum like twice a week just thinking of it like sticking to my skin. This is why I'm getting a, a labradoodle. Yeah, I might. You might have to take Vonnegut because I might be really allergic to him. Vonnegut would hate the condo. Hate the condo. Really? Why? It's too small. Yeah. He has nowhere to hide. Yeah, that's right. He wouldn't like that. He at would all. hate it. He loves. He loves the basement, which is covered in yeah. like other people's dust. Yeah, no, that's not good. Yeah, so I've been like just trying to figure out how I can give him a little bath or something. Poor, poor party. Anyway, well, <clears throat> at least you got a diagnosis. I know through speaking with so many people that are sick on my other podcast that that is one of the most um, relieving parts of the struggle of living with illness in particular, something that is undiagnosed, at least now you have something to put, something to label it with and a sort of like game plan to go ahead with and, and to kind of tackle this thing. So I'm, I'm excited and happy. It's awesome because, because like we talk a little bit about health on this podcast too, particularly like things like how anxiety and depression can affect your libido, affect your sex life. Yeah. And like, and like asshole health. <laughs> Yeah, and you vaginal. Know, vaginal health. Yeah. 
And I feel like having just turned 37, I am like looking down the barrel at 40 and I'm like, how, like this, we're not, I'm not going to get, I'll get healthier for sure with my skin, but like overall as a human being, I'm probably past my prime in terms of like overall health. So yeah, well, I mean the other day while we were sitting together, uh, doing some work, working on our upcoming workshop, uh, the human, uh, connection through touch workshop, um, you, and you know, you were like, you were all, you were all sorts of messed up. I think you were like, you know, you, you were, your skin was oozing. You, you were, you were uncomfortable in your own skin. And and then I think you thought you were like, had a fever. So you went and you got a, a thermometer and you put that fucker in your mouth and we're sitting there and I'm doing, I'm making the, you know, making the visuals for our workshop. <clears throat> and then I just hear this like super high pitch, like, of my thermometer. It's so the thermometer's going, and it's just so loud and so grating. And I'm going, shut that off. Uh, it's done. Rose dog, my rose, my rose. Rose dog. heard she it was too. Like, she was like, "What, what the, the fuck? fuck?" Yeah. And I and you were like, "What's what? done? What?" And I was like, "You can't hear that." No. And you couldn't hear it. No. There's apparently a certain pitch that you lose the ability to hear after a certain age. We just talked about this on Sick Boy yesterday. That's coming out on Friday. There's a woman in China who, and I had said, I think there's like an International Woman's Day joke in here somewhere, but there's a woman in China who woke up and she couldn't hear her boyfriend. Just explicitly only couldn't hear him. She can't hear men's voices. Whoa. But she can hear female voices. Or or to be more inclusive, she can't hear low frequency voices. So, So... Men or, or, you know, um, baritone women. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe baritone women. Yeah. Um, baritone the low. uh, Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, but I mean, they were very broad in this, in this article that was covering it, but they were basically like, she can't hear men. She can hear women. Uh, (laughs) and I was like, that sounds kind of (laughs) great. You know, like, like, I mean, if I was a woman, I'd be like, Fuck yeah, bring it on. What if it just happened to all women and I'm, I'm identified people fuck. who just like all of a sudden can't hear men can hear each other? Yeah. Yeah. I'm watching The Leftovers for the a second time. Me and Leah are going through and watching The Leftovers. One of the best, most underrated HBO shows of all time. Okay. Clocking that. And and you've seen it. Didn't you watch it with me like mm-hmm. years ago? I don't think so. I think I watched a couple, like a first couple of episodes. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I most certainly binged it by myself and was just like, wow, this is only for me. (laughs) And, 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 and nobody else knows about it. But anyway, it's this show about this, like, you know, this event that happens where like 3% of the world's population just in on the same day at the same moment, just vanish. Mm. No one knows where they went. They just like, like me and you're talking on the podcast and then boop, you're gone. And I'm like, what the fuck? And then three years later, the what the world is like in the aftermath of that, and a lot of cults are popping up and all this weird stuff about religion and whatever. <clears throat> that would be an interesting show. Three years after, all of a sudden, women just can't hear men. <laughs> I wonder and what would fucking happen. I feel like the world would be, I feel like there would be a lot more productivity. You know, I feel like, I feel like, I feel like women would go, because for years, Women have just had to listen to fucking men be 
Loud. Loud and <laughs> fucking sh- like, you know, t- talking down to them and not allowing them to be, you know, be all they can be. And now it's like, oh, we don't have to hear your, f- we don't have to hear the <laughs> shit coming out of your fucking mouth. Oh, man. I think that'd be, be a real, I think it'd be a real interesting show. It's definitely a good concept for show. You know what? I'm be a good comedy. I started watching again last night was um the TV uh, Wet Hot American Summer. Oh, that, that fucking God. And you know Another what? Another just golden gem. I think that I have a crush actual, on Paul Rudd. Actual real love for him. I think I do, too. He is so funny. He's the most lovable performer. Oh my god. If anybody out there listening to this knows Paul Rudd yeah. or has worked with Paul Rudd or can just like shoot us an email and, and tell me that he's just as good as he seems. Yeah. Like I don't want to have sex with Paul Rudd necessarily. I would maybe, but he nothing turns me on more than somebody who makes me laugh. Did you watch his Hot Ones interview? No. That you got to watch that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Watch that today. You remember the part in the movie when on American Summer where, where he's he, in where the cafeteria? He, where he throws the thing. She's like, pick that up. <sighs> it's my favorite scene. It's you. <laughs> no, it's, come on. <laughs> yeah, there is something about, <sighs> about that, about, about him in that, in that show that's you. Uh, wow, we're really getting on a tangent here. Um, uh, listen, it's, I want to just say this week's guest, I'm so fucking excited about. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Justin Lay Miller. Uh, he is coming out of the Kinsey Institute, does a lot of research in into the world of sex. Mm-hmm. And relationships. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, the, the conversation that we have specifically with, with Dr. Lay Miller is about the book that he wrote, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. And it's, <clears throat> he did this huge study on fantasies. And it is just a fascinating, like he's, he's great. He's a great speaker. He's obviously done the podcast thing a number of times. Yeah, yeah, that's Um, right. And he, it's just such a fucking cool conversation. But in that conversation, we were talking a lot about like the lack of sexual education Mm. or, or the, or the, you know, the disappointing, the disappointing sexual education that exists in North America. Mm -hmm. Um, And we were talking about like places that do it do it better and do it good. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was bringing up like the Netherlands as an example of a place that like does it really well. Mm-hmm. And oddly enough, our friend Yip, who lives in Amsterdam, very dear friend of ours, sent us both a DM. Oh, you got it too. I got it too. Asking us if we had seen this, um, this show, this new show coming out of, uh, it's this new Dutch show. And it's not John Dillerman. If anyone's been been uh, following the podcast, talking about that kid's show about the guy with the magic penis. This one translates but, to ultra strips down. Okay, so I, I think I've talked about this on the show before, but mm-hmm. maybe I'm wrong. But give give us a little rundown on what this is all about. Um, okay. Do you have a link there to the show? Um, not to the direct show okay, right now. Okay. I just have a bunch of ads up or a bunch of articles up. But um, basically, it's a, a, a TV show where... Adults stand ahead of an audience of children completely naked and answer questions from these kids. And the kids are ages like 11 to 13. Um, and they, uh, they can ask them anything. But particularly they'll have, I think they have themes per episode. So like pubic hair or, you know, 
I don't know, uh, tattoos or whatever. Right. And it's all about like, it's all about countering like the bombardment of like perfect in quotes um, or like normalized perfect bodies that they see on social media and actually just like showing people bodies of adult ages of different ages of different types and um and just like normalizing body image and, mm-hmm. and positive body image so the kids can ask questions like at what age did you grow hair on your lower body and are do you one of the questions here do you consider removing your tattoos or are you pleased with your body parts and the that's, adults that's such a cute question are I you know. pleased with your body parts <laughs> i know and uh and the show is actually in its second season so it's doing well Pe- parents and people over there generally seem to see quite like it except for um except for obviously the people who don't and think it's awful horrifying i think the word depraving um has been thrown around in there yep and and uh it, to me, it seems like the, what I'm reading in the articles that the kids are the kids are generally across the board nervous before it begins, but then actually leave feeling like pretty confident and comfortable in talking about mm-hmm. in talking about bodies, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. And um, it's great because our guest today talks a, a little bit about the differences between the American sex ed and the like the Danish and other. Other Europeans' uh, approaches to teaching kids sex ed, and uh, it's just so nice to see. It's just so blatant. It's like on the children's television channel. Yeah, and that's. Uh, I mean, <clears throat> I don't. I. I. You think? I love it. I you love it. it. I love the idea of that you know, Mo- for 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 um, multiple different reasons. One being great entertainment. You know what I mean? Like take kids say the darndest things and ramp it up a bunch. Yes. Um, uh, and definitely remove the uh, awful, awful human being that was actually behind that show for a long time. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, uh, you know, take kids who are so endlessly curious, which I think is is like, you know. Should be capitalized on. <laughs> yeah. Well, not capitalized on, but like is is so, is so, curiosity is a, is a trait that should not be squashed, should not be squashed regardless of your age. I think, I think, I think curiosity, I was, you know, we were, I was talking about this the other day um, with a group of people about like how that's one thing that I think a lot of us sort of lose as we get older is like our, our, that, that sense of like child, childish wonderment, you Mm -hmm. know, childish, not childish, but like childlike curiosity. Um, the and drive to, to learn, know. the desire yeah. to know, the, the yeah, exactly, like like that, the 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 yearning to want to to just know, and so you know, and I think that that that's kind of inherent with the work that we do with this podcast in talking to people who who've had a variety of different experiences, or or come from different backgrounds, or you know, study certain things that we're just curious to know about. And so you take that curiosity and put it in, in in a in a platform like this where there's grown adults just bearing all of their body and it's there's nothing there's nothing sexual about it it's very like no, it's very clinical if yeah. anything right it's very like like you were talking about like at the at the office you know 
you're just be, you're being you're not being looked at as a sexual object, which again is inherently a part of the culture outside of North America, where there is this a they there is this very almost natural innate ability to divide the body from to divide a sexual body from like sexual context and not sexual context, you know? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> like I'm, we're watching, I'm watching it right now and it's, it's, <clears throat> you know, they're, they're for folks who haven't seen it. And I, I implore you to like, look it up. The kids are sitting, <clears throat> you know, it looks like you're kind of like old school, uh, YTV sort of studio setup where the kids are on like a sort of like these like tiered, uh, benches almost and they're wa- and they're just looking down on a really blank studio set that has that's all blacked out mm-hmm. and the subjects are just standing on little platforms totally nude much like how uh, a body would stand for medical exam or like those nude art uh, oh yeah like what's that live art live drawings art, yeah. or whatever yeah and the kids are just you know asking questions asking away and the people standing there just answer yeah and it's great. They have uh, there's a interview here as well in one of the articles with a with a trans person who, you know, kids are just like they ask the question. They say, "Are you a girl or are you a boy?" And the, this person is responding, "I'm I'm neither," and right. talking about uh, how you know they're growing some beard hairs now <laughs> and just like just very it's just very factual. It's just mm-hmm. very. Um, yeah, personal and, and, uh, I love, I love this one part in, in, um, in this article where it says many Danes believe children should not be shielded from the realities of life, giving them a lot of unsupervised time to play and explore. This is separate from the show, but this is in the article. Um, Sophie Munster, a nationally recognized expert in Nordic parenting, she says, uh, Danish parenting generally favors exposing children rather than shielding them. And one famous example of how far the, the Danes take this philosophy was the euthanization and dissection of a giraffe at the Copenhagen Zoo in 2014, mm. where children observed from the front row. Whoa. Then, it, then they say, abroad. Wait, they watched it get euthanized and, and then watched it dissected? And then um, feeding, oh. fed, they fed it to the lions. Whoa, dude, that is fucking metal. Mm-hmm. The children Wait, in the audience. But why did they put it down though? Did it have to be euthanized? I'm sure it had to be euthanized. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, right. yeah. Well, fuck, I hope so. Jesus Christ. She says, uh, Ms. Munster says, while some may prefer to be over careful, we may prefer to be under careful. It's about being free and finding yourself. If a child falls from a tree and breaks an arm, that may not be ideal, she added, but it serves a larger purpose. Jeez. Yeah. That's fucking wild, dude. Like that's uh, that that one. I makes me wonder. Like, is that gonna is that gonna fuck a kid up? You know, like. But I guess I guess it again. It's like all. It's all. It all boils down to the context of the situation. Well, and how often does does a kid, you know, not not like how we handle death in general Mm. as well with kids? You know, like Fluffy went off to the farm or whatever. Yeah. Right. And what that does to you when you actually realize, you know, that things die. And anyway, I, uh, there's all, I also came across this, um, this book that's, uh, that's called When Emma Became Emma and How It Happened. Sorry. That was Ow. really loud. Was that going to, they, they going to hear that? No, they won't hear that. But I, uh, but I was going to, I was going to play it for our, uh, 
for our patrons. For our patrons. Oh yeah. Um, there's this yeah children's books on sexuality that teach like how you came to be and uh, right. And the, I love the description of the Danish way of of educating. So this kid's this kid's book is called When Emma Became Emma and How It Happened. And um, the writer, I like that title. Well, that's the English translation, but um, she, the writer of this article, she she said she she overheard someone reading this book to to a kid, and uh, he she says when I heard the words, um, "Mad sticks his penis into Amelia's vagina," I was sure I was mistaken, Um, and then and then the. The description of of one of the images. Where is it here? Wait, that's how they were saying. Oh yeah, how Amelia? How how became Amelia? Emma became Emma. Or Emma became Emma? Because mm-hmm. Mad stuck his penis inside Amelia. Amelia's vagina. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, where is this, the description of this image? I would fucking love to get it, my hands on the book that my mom sat me down on a bed and read me about sex. Is it called what's uh? Where did I come from? I don't remember. I just remember, like, I just remember an image of a cartoon-looking person with a very bulbous nose and really big, big, fluffy pubes. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's all I remember. I didn't get those books, but my little sister just down for me did. She got two. One's What's Happening to Me, it was about puberty, and one was Where Did I Come From, and it was about sex. Text Maxine Saunders. Do you remember the name of the book that you read me about sex education? Question mark. When I was young. Question mark. I love that she read it to you and didn't just give it to you. Uh, yeah, no. She sat me down on the bed and was like, "We're gonna do this," and I just remember being like, "I'm gonna fucking." How old were you? Puke. Um, I was really young. I was pretty 16. young. Yeah, I was. I was like, fuck, twenty one. <laughs> I just come home from my first year of university. Um, yeah. So anyway, um, uh, yep. Thanks for sending us that link and reminding us that that wonderful show exists. And who knows, who knows me, you know, who knows what will happen in the coming decades of, 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 uh, over on this side of the world. We got to get on board with, with giving kids power, the knowledge. It's just, it's all so politicized. You know what I mean? I like anything, like fucking anything that needs to change. It's just becomes politics, you know? So it, fuck, who knows? There are definitely some local sex educators that are doing this, uh, but it's like. But at large scale, like in terms of like the culture of the, of the country or the culture of the, of this part of the world, it like it's, it's, you know, but again, that, that is one of, that's one of the things that like I, I constantly remind myself is like, you, you, you kind of can't look at things from that large of a perspective and you sort of just need to look at your own bubble, your own Our Atlantic bubble. You, yeah. <laughs> your, your own, like your, you, you need to look at when it comes to like politics and stuff like that. It's like, I feel like you kind of need to focus locally mm. because that's really what matters. Well, I or mean, late, that's what's going to affect you. I don't know. We were, I don't really know, like, I don't know how to speak about this from a super, from a knowledgeable place, but you know, everyone is talking about like the globalization of everything and it, you know, I, I think in the past few years, whether it's social media or, you know, this idea of like 
success being like world domination or being the best in the world mm. at, at things. But I have found that really stifling and like really kind of depressing in a way of just like, you know, not I, how, how I, how, making an impact in my own personal life is hard enough, yeah. let alone like trying to change, you know, even some of our friends who are doing like great big things like Nicole and, yeah. you know, starting movements is so inspiring. But I think when I think about home and the Atlantic provinces, mm -hmm. or, you know, and I only say Atlantic provinces because I have love for both Prince Edward Island and Nova Scotia, like New Brunswick, whatever, and Newfoundland, I, I mean, they're basically their own country. I don't think Newfoundland is technically considered an Atlantic province. Is it not? I, it's I feel a maritime? Like it's like a, yeah, I feel like it's like a maritime province, maybe. Anyway, but I, whatever, I look whatever. at that as something like, well, that's doable. At least within the Atlantic bubble to like do something that's impactful and significant seems like, I don't know, if it's just the older I get and the more tired I get. I'm like, okay, I can dig my, t I can sink my teeth into mm. making an impact locally i still don't know what that looks like but i i find it much more inspiring um and motivating yeah uh newfoundland is like is an atlantic province it's an atlantic province but it's not the maritimes it's one it's one i don't i don't understand i don't understand our our premier the other day said something that made me go wait what is newfoundland not an atlantic province because he was they're talking about opening the bubble and yeah. he was like we will be opening with the Atlantic provinces, but uh, I haven't, I haven't considered. We're not sure. Uh, about I'm not sure about Newfoundland, and I went, but they are, and it went well. Anyway, um, I think that's a Newfoundland. I think Newfoundland prefers not to be referred to. No, as. they don't. Get out of here. <laughs> um, so, speaking of Justin Lay Miller and the work that he does, I thought this would be a fun little thing to do with you, Bridie, before okay. we go into this conversation with someone who knows a whole lot about something. All right. Um, I went to, I, I just quickly, uh, um, and Justin, if you're listening to this, I'm so sorry. I quickly Googled sexual fantasy survey. Okay. And the first thing that popped up was a surveymonkey.com survey. Oh. <laughs> so I'm going to run through this survey with you and, uh, and but just, is this going to give me a result? Uh, I don't know. You know what? Maybe I'll submit it and see what happens. Okay. Let's actually do it. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Uh, so number one, do you use sexual fantasies when you are, enjoying time alone every time sometimes or never uh i say every time every time okay two are you the center of your own fantasy yes i'm always the star in my fantasies no i enjoy being a fly on the wall in my fantasies depends on my mood i'd rather not say um i'm always the star except for lately when i've been just replaying sex scenes from bridgerton in my mind Bridgerton sex scenes? I think that their chemistry oh is to die for. Do you actually, uh, do you usually act out the same fantasy or vary it? I have one standard fantasy use. I select from about three or four. I make up a new fantasy each time. I have one fantasy with different characters or endings. Uh, <laughs> I use one or more that I use one more than the others. I cycle through about three or four. Okay. <laughs> Uh, number four, number five of these fantasies that you would consider playing out. One being your first choice, Wait. five being your last choice. Okay. Okay. So one being like, I would do that first. Okay. Five being, I would do that last. And I'm going to give you five choices and you're going to put one number for each. Okay. I see. So it's what I would fantasize about on a scale um, from one to five? No, not, not one to five. 
uh, number five of these fantasies. So I'm going to give you a whole list of them. Oh, and I <clears> and you're going to you're going to go. Here's my top five. Top five. Okay. Yeah. Stranger on train has sex with you. Tied up and whip. Couple of the same sex doing sexual things to you. Couple playing in front of you. Master and servant. You're the servant. <laughs> Prison warden comes into your cell and overcomes you. Oh my God. Ten people of the opposite sex have sex, have turns, have Ten people of the opposite sex have turns with you. A beautiful beach with a beautiful partner. <laughs> Sexed whilst others are watching. Whilst. Being forced to do sexual acts to someone. It's hard. It? Yeah, that's it. it it's going to be hard because there's, there's a number those. of them. You got to remember them. So. Okay, so I'll just give you the ones that stand out to me. Okay. Um, so the master servant and the tied up and whipping are not on my list. Okay. So also the prisoners, prisoner master situation also. Not. All right, cool. So those three are out, which leaves you with um, being forced to do a sexual act to someone, sex whilst watching others, a beautiful beach with a beautiful partner. That one's not on there either. Ten people having their way with you. Um, couple playing in front of you. Couple of the same sex doing sexual things to you, tied up and whipped. Oh, that's out. And Wait, stranger on a train having sex with you. Can I just ask for clarity on couple of the same sex? Couple, same sex? Couple. So couple. Two, two people. Two people of the okay. same sex doing sexual things as to, me? to you. Same sex as me or same sex as each other? I think as the same sex of each other. They're so the same sex of a each A couple of males. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Doing the same, doing sexual acts. Okay. To and you. what was the very, very first one? Stranger on train has oh, sex with you. Oh, interesting. I think okay. that's my number one. Oh, really? I think so. I've literally. But this is your. This is this is all about you too. I've literally never had that fantasy, but it's gonna be. I think it's gonna make my top five. Um, I'm I've like, had. I've I've had a several times over a fantasy of. Of a of a student like a student teacher. What? No, no. What do they call them now? I feel like there's like I'm gonna say the wrong word. A stewardess or a um, a flight attendant. Oh yeah. A flight a flight wench. <laughs> I, I i've had i've had a number of uh number of fantasies of a of a flight attendant um uh like like sneakily convincing me to come and have sex with them in the whoa in the back of the plane. i have never had that but i do like the fantasy of me of someone just like locking eyes with someone yeah. in public and um okay yeah, but that, i think like definitely these frequently play in my in my repertoire are the couple of the same sex so two men okay so is that number 1 i think so all right that's yeah. one and then maybe 10 <laughs> okay gang bang number 2 <laughs> okay. and then what i forget uh a beautiful beach no. with a beautiful partner take that one out there take that one out of there uh, being forced to do sexual oh, yeah. acts to someone. Let's do that. Let's make that number three. Okay. And then besides stranger on a train, is there anything else on there? Sex, sex whilst oh, watching yeah. others. Yeah. Put that on that number four and then stranger on a train number five. All right. Sweet. That's fun. Uh, okay. Moving on in our little survey monkey survey, which I have no idea who's getting these results <laughs> and what they're for. But they have my name, my address, and my phone number. <laughs> yeah, they have our SIM number. Uh, <laughs> would you prefer to read, watch, or listen to your fantasy? 
Mm, I really like reading. All right. Uh, if you could buy your fantasy to use in private, would you consider it? I don't know what that question What the means. fuck does that mean? If you could buy, if you could purchase your fantasy to use in private. So let's assume that it means you can pay. Here, here are, the, here are, the, here are the, okay. the choices. I would love to be able to buy my fantasy. It would depend on how much it cost. <laughs> Only if I could have a sample first. I wouldn't spend money on it as it's already free in my head. Yeah, I wouldn't spend money on it. It's free. <laughs> okay, great. It's a fantasy. Could you describe a fantasy of yours in brief or in detail? I'll just put gangbang. <laughs> That's in brief. That's in very That's brief. That's very brief. Gangbang. But, but I've already talked about this on the show, and it does continue to this day. This started right around the time we started, started this the podcast. Show. But is the idea that, like, the, the idea of there being, like, multiple people uh, receiving some sort of like nourishment, like kind of like, you know, breastfeeding or whatever, but whether it's, you know, oral sex or just like, just they need to, they need to massage my feet. They need to eat me out. They need to right. be breastfed, although there's Needing no it, right. Yeah, 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 right. Like it provides nourishment. Yeah. Okay. I was on I was on Reddit the other day and I was reading a uh, it was it was what was the, it was a it was a Reddit asks question I forget what it was but the but the person who had who had chimed in on the thread said the other day I told my boyfriend that I would allow him to play with to fondle my boobs for as long as he wanted and I was so shocked he literally did it for forty five minutes straight just fondling my boobs and looked up at me and said, this has been my dream forever. What? Yeah. This sounds kind of like, kinda I like, would love I if I had just said, can you massage my feet? And someone was like, I've been, been dreaming of the day. Forever. <laughs> it feels there's, so good. Fuck, dude, there's someone out there listening to this right now who would definitely hop on that. We got an email from someone who wanted a picture of pictures of my boobs. Remember I've gotten that? emails from people who have wanted many things oh. similar Okay. To that. Would you subscribe to a fantasy website? Um, yes, no, or depends on the cost. Uh, say that again. Would you subscribe to a fantasy website? No. Nope. Uh, how frequently would you want to change your fantasy? Weekly, monthly, quarterly? This is, this is getting... I'm, Sorry, now what? I'm starting how to wonder to who's getting this. Weekly, this, monthly. I mean, I would change it probably quarterly. Quarterly? Say. Okay. Would you like to get your private guilty pleasures from one place? This is a sex... This is a... This is some sort of e-commerce sex store. Oh, for I sure. See. Okay. Uh, would you like to get your private guilty pleasures from one place? Yes, I would. Maybe. No, I wouldn't. If they hit the mark, yes. From one place? I don't... Maybe. 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 It depends if it's on Amazon, if it has a two-day shipping. <laughs> All right. Done. And uh, there we go. Thank you for taking this survey. It's just a survey. It's not a quiz. There's uh, no answer. There's no personality type how, I'm going to get from this. How are you feeling? Contribute your health status to track the COVID-19 pandemic. Oh, just gave, it just brought, it just gave me other survey. Oh, I see. Wow. We really have no idea who just got all those answers. But, but it could be. Someone as important as Dr. Justin Lane. <laughs> Probably not. But Highly likely I'm, that it is not. I had fun answering those questions. So Good, I'm glad. Do you know the first fantasy? What was the first fantasy you remember having? 
Oh, Jesus. I mean, this is, it's so bad. Cause like, I really, truly, it's not a, I don't, I don't joke around when I say it. Like I really have a, a terrible, terrible memory. Um, I probably have to think about it for a minute. Okay. Well, mine, the first, the first fantasy I remember having is that was recurring that I would use is, um, being in a swimming pool with someone who would like, I'd be up, I'd be like in the water, but like, you know, leaning on the side of the pool and they would come up behind me. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and fuck you from behind. Yeah. I think I came in the from pool. Romeo and Juliet. Right. Sure. Yeah. The Boz Lerman mm, version. Yeah. 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 Um, Do you have any images like that? I don't remember. The only thing that's coming to my mind is, uh, oh, yes, I do. Great. It was, oh, wow. This was like early, early internet days, like like as early as could be. Okay. And uh, it was back in the day when like me and my friend AJ, we were just like, we were just looking up horny.com. Um, which I don't think exists anymore, but uh, I had come across uh, an image of, I had come across a cache of images of, of females that were representing different countries. Okay. And so it was like, here's like Brianna from, from Norway. And, and it was like, it was basically like, it was kind of like playboy. It was, it was, it wasn't hardcore porn. It was like just girls topless. Mm-hmm. But I remember the the I don't remember her name, but the 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 woman from the U.S. She had blonde hair, pretty tan skin, and she had her shirt just lifted up over her over her tits, and they were like kind of smaller breasts, but they were they were like snow white, mm-hmm. the whitest breasts, but her skin was super dark. Okay. <clears throat> so she had these crazy, crazy tan lines. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what the fuck it was, but it blew my <laughs> mind wide open. And for years, I would just, I could just get off just to the thought of tan lines. Huh. And tan lines kind of became a fantasy of mine. So like whenever I would have a partner and it would be summertime, I'd be like in my head subconsciously kind of going, oh, fuck yeah, tan lines. <laughs> And I don't know what it is. It's just like some sort of hardcore visual stimulus that like, uh, it like yeah. cuts in and I'm, I'm immediately turned on and I I'll never. Yeah. And I, I can like, I can pinpoint, like I still remember exactly what she looked like okay. that image. Yeah. Imprinted on you. It's in, yeah, definitely big time. <laughs> and, I, and I was really young. Like I was really young. I was probably, I mean, like how old are you in grade six? I was like, it was like around 10, there. Yeah, 10, I was like, 11? I was like 11 maybe. Yeah, 10 or 11. Yeah, that makes I was sense. was really young. That makes sense. Crazy. Yeah. Fuck. Good job with your memory there. Thanks. Uh, by the way, speaking of memory, my mom just texted me. She oh, got great. back to my uh, answer. Uh, I said, I said, do you remember the name of the book that you read me about sex education when I was young? She just said, no, LOL. Oh. But you did not like it, LOL. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> I said, I know. Um, all right, cool. Well, let's throw this conversation with uh, Dr. Justin Lee Miller. Um, fuck. Just, you know, top tier guest, top tier conversation. Love this kind of shit. 
Um, I love, especially like it's a nice long one and hang yeah. in there till you get to the end. Cause then there's some stuff that's like that we get into talking about, about, about again, like Denmark and, and, and Belgium and yeah. some really All that funny shit. stories over there. Yeah. So we hope you enjoy it. And Hey folks, remember uh, you can watch all of our four play segments over on Patreon, patreon.com slash turn me on uh, big shout out to our patrons because if it wasn't for you, um, who knows where we would be in our lives. Mm, so absolutely. Uh, we thank you for your patronage and, um, and we love all of you. My, my, my girls over at morbid podcast who have continued yeah. to binge, yeah. they, they refer to their patrons as their Patronuses. Patronuses. Yeah, that's cute. Um, well, uh, this is our conversation with Dr. Justin Lay Miller. Uh, all right, we are all set to go. Brady, why don't you take it away? Because I, <clears throat> I don't, <clears throat> I, uh, I know that we're speaking to Justin today, but I'm, I'm not in the know of anything of who Justin is, what Justin does, what, what on earth we're going to be talking about today. But I'm, I'm sure damn excited. Sure thing. <laughs> well, first of all, Justin, I don't know if you know anything about our podcast, but Jeremy and I are married. We have a polyamorous relationship. We live with other partners and we've been doing this podcast now for four years and uh, releasing conversations with people from all walks of life on the subject of sex and relationships. And um, your book came into my email or notice of your book came into my email and I was really excited because your book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can uh, Help You Improve Your Sex Life is a really uh, a compiled book of awesome information based on your research um, on sexual fantasies. And when Turn Me Ooh. On actually started, we that was the inspiration was like, let's, let's call it fantasy land. And we'll talk to people about their fantasies. But what we found when we started bringing people in is that people were were not really able, they didn't really feel like they could articulate their fantasies. And also they were less, uh, varied and interesting than, um, like they were all really, really common. And like, I don't know. I think, I think when I opened your book and I, I, and I, and I read, um, how common exactly some of those top fantasies are. I was like, okay, this is why we needed to expand the scope of our podcast a little bit. Um, so I know from your bio that you are a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute. Um, but what I'd really like to know is who you are and how you ended up do in this field like what's your sort of origin story (laughs) so well thanks for having me always happy to be here and have the opportunity to talk about sex and sexual (laughs) fantasies so what i do now isn't what i envisioned that i would be doing growing up uh actually when i was in high school i wanted to be a journalist and i was 
in the school newspaper and, uh, you know, wrote a lot of articles. And actually my first job was as a teen film critic. I was hired by the newspaper in my hometown, Canton, Ohio. Uh, so I was hired at the Canton repository to be a teen film critic. And they asked me to write snarky reviews of the worst movies of the nineties, like <laughs> spice world and like all of these other things. Take that back. I love spice world. <laughs> Well, uh, <laughs> no it's comment. funny. The, the, the line I remember most from my review was, what you want, what you really, really want is to not see this movie. Oh, um, I love it. <laughs> nice. But so, you know, in high school, I had this interest in journalism. I also had an interest in psychology. And we actually had a couple of psychology courses in my high school. I took them and I was absolutely fascinated. And so that kind of pushed me down the path of psych. And so I went later to get my PhD in social psychology, and I specifically wanted to study relationships. And I got assigned to be a teaching assistant for a human sexuality course. And I was like, oh, wait, I can be studying and talking about sex. You know, that course Mm. opened up my eyes to this whole world of sex research that I didn't know was out there. And while I was in graduate school, I decided to start teaching my own human sexuality course. I applied to teach it. And ended up teaching it, I think, five or six times before I graduated. And that's really where I learned everything about sex. And that sort of set me down this path of being a sex researcher and educator. It, okay, can I, can I jump in there and just, just out of curiosity, if, if, if one wants to just have a go at teaching a human sexuality class, do you, are you kind of like, do you have to follow a specific curriculum? Or are you kind of, are, do they kind of go... Take it away. Te- te- yeah, teach what you would like. You know, it's, it's such a vast world. Take it. Take a deep dive into whichever kind of piece of the territory you'd like. Yeah, so the world of graduate teaching assistantships is kind of weird. It varies from one university to the other. You know, mm. at some schools, they might give you a certain curriculum we have to follow. But in my case, whenever I got the opportunity to teach, it was just kind of like, okay, here's your classroom. Figure it out. <laughs> and so... Mm. For me, it was learning everything as I went along. And what I found was that some of my friends who decided to teach human sexuality as well, some had terrible experiences because they didn't know what they were getting into. They don't teach us how to teach. You're just expected to learn and pick that up on your own. And teaching about sex, like that's one of the most dicey topics that you can teach about Absolutely. Uh, and, and so many potential pitfalls and landmines, like every word that comes out of your mouth. And so there's a steep learning curve there. And I was fortunate that I had good experiences with it, but that wasn't true of all of my colleagues. Sure. Mm-hmm. Right. Of course. Of course. Now, now in this, like in these early stages, because Bridie, you had mentioned that, um, that, the the book that you you were referring to really dives into fantasy specifically is was fantasy a big part of what you were interested in exploring early on in your studies or was that something that sort of came later as you as you began to deepen your 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 knowledge of sex So I've always been interested in fantasies. And when I was teaching college courses, there was really only one day that was devoted to it. And we started out with this activity where I would ask students to anonymously submit their favorite fantasy of all time on a note card. 
And I would read a bunch of them out loud to the class so that we could see what some common themes might be in people's fantasies, how they might vary across gender and sexual orientation. And I found that to be super fascinating, right? Ooh. To learn what the people sitting across from me, like the sexual thoughts that are going through their head. And so I would say that that sort of planted the seed for my interest in huh. diving into the psychology of fantasies. But what I found was that there was actually very limited research on fantasies. You know, almost nobody had ever looked at, for example, what's the connection between fantasy and reality? How many people want to act on their fantasies? How many have actually done that? And what are their experiences like? And so that's part of the reason why I wrote a book on fantasies later on. I wanted to conduct this massive study of sexual fantasies and ask and answer the questions that had never previously been addressed before. Did this like... Uh, fuck, I love this. I'm so excited to to talk about this. So, so did, was there um, this curiosity of? So, so there's obvious. It's obvious to you that there's there, at the time there, there's not a lot of research that has gone into fantasy and 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 this this sort of uh, this this uh, uh, very obvious like line between fantasy and reality and and whether or not people truly want to cross that line um is that is i hope this isn't too personal of a question but is <laughs> like was did you have at this point any personal experience in coming up to that line and 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 realizing that like oh wow there's there is a very big difference between what i like to imagine versus what i really want I, the reason I ask that is because it, we, like Bridie and I have come up in, I mean, that this has come up on the show a, a number of times now, but we had an experience where we had this fantasy that we wanted to sleep with another couple together. And yet we get to the sex club and we're right, we are right at the line. We are about to cross <laughs> over into the, the, the unknown. The, you know, we're about to go, uh, no going back. And then, and then all of a sudden it, it, it became a little too real. And it was like this, this kind of staggering moment for both of us where we realized that like, yeah, sometimes fantasy just needs to stay in that realm of fantasy. And it, it's not quite, doesn't quite feel like a space that we might want to cross over into. So is that, is there some, have you had any experience similar to that before you started going into this line of research? So for me, no, that wasn't what motivated my interest. And mm. I, I get asked questions like this a lot. And I think there's often this perception that people who study sex are doing me search instead of research, you know, <laughs> right, where they're trying right. to understand their own sexual selves. But for me, my interest was just really more one of academic and intellectual curiosity uh, because I'm a scientist and I study sex and I'm just endlessly fascinated by it and want to learn more. So it was really more, I want to add to the literature and I also want to answer these questions that my students are asking me constantly so that, right, you know, yeah. I can actually give them a data-driven answer. And when it comes to scientific research on sex, there's really not a lot of it. It's a relatively new field and it's really hard to get funding to do sex studies. And so 
there's so many questions people have where I'm like, that's a great question, but we don't have any studies yet that can address that. So my goal is to try and fill in the gaps because I want to give people the sex ed that they need and they deserve, but I think sex ed needs to be data-driven. You need to have the evidence and data, and it can't just be based on here are my personal opinions or experiences. So right, that's totally. really sort of more my approach in coming at all of this. Mm-hmm. I, I loved reading that, that in your book, but a huge advocate you are for like, uh, I don't know the right word, but advocating for like a, a proper sex education. Mm. And um, I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole. Maybe you could take us down it about about places where they're doing a really good job of that. Um, maybe I'll just leave that in your capable hands to, to <laughs> yeah, describe. So, so in the United States, we're not doing a very good job of that. And I think the current number as of today is that there's about 20 states where there isn't even a requirement that sex ed be taught. And in the 30 or so states where there is a requirement for sex ed, less than half of them require that the sex ed is medically accurate, which is like mind blowing. (laughs) So it's like, you have to teach kids about sex, but we don't care what the fuck you teach them. Just teach them something. And it's, we're, we're failing our students. We're failing teenagers. We're not giving them useful information. We're just telling them not to do it. So as a model, I like to look to, I think in the Netherlands, they have a really great approach and I've actually taught several study abroad courses in Amsterdam, where I take students from the U S over to Amsterdam. And we just explore how all things sex are different, including sex education. Mm. So they have this program that is used in more than half of all Dutch schools. And it actually starts in kindergarten. And I know whenever I say like sex ed in kindergarten, people's eyes get really wide. They're like, you're teaching kindergartners about sex. And it's like, no, like (laughs) that's not (laughs) what happens. Instead, you're starting at a young age, teaching them about the idea of consent and personal boundaries. And so how do you communicate if somebody touches you in a way that makes you uncomfortable and what is appropriate versus inappropriate touch? And as they get a little older, you teach them the correct anatomical names for all of their body parts. And as they get a little older, you teach them about reproduction and sex and safer sex. So it's all age appropriate, but it starts at a very young age opens the lines of conversation and starts equipping people with practical skills and tools they need for navigating their sex life in a healthy way. And in the Netherlands, they have the lowest rate of teen pregnancy, teen abortion, teen STIs in the industrialized world. In the US, we have the highest of those things, right? So the data and evidence are clear that, you know, providing this comprehensive approach to sex education can help people improve their lives and make us all healthier. Mm. It, it, yeah, go ahead, Brad. Well, it seems to me that like also besides just an ocean separating um, us from the Netherlands, there is also a difference that I read about in your book, which is that the parents feel more comfortable um, talking about it. And when I think about creating a curriculum for youth here in Canada or the U S it's still like, but how do we get the parents on board? Because there seems to be like, we got to almost start with them. It's true. And the parents do need to speak up and play a role in this. And what's interesting is that when you survey parents in the U S they want comprehensive sex ed in schools. And this is true across the political divide, liberal conservative, like people want sex ed. Um, 
But the decisions about what's being taught in sex ed tend to be made at the local level. And so parents really need to get involved at the local level in figuring out what are their kids actually learning? What should they be learning instead? And there's just that important role for the parents to play in helping to shape the local sex ed curriculum. And then also, once you know what your kids are and aren't learning, you know what you need to do to fill in the gaps and Mm. to be there and be prepared to answer questions. So I think we need to change our approach and mindset and realize that not all sex ed can and should happen in school and that parents themselves also have to play a role in this. And you can start when your kids are really young by teaching them about those ideas of consent and boundaries and fill in the gaps as you go along. And, you know, odds are if you're in the U.S., your school is not going to provide very good sex ed, but do your best to try and change that and fill in the gaps where you identify them. Have you, have you seen any sort of peer led sex education work well? Yeah. And so peer-based sex ed is something that does happen, but I tend to see that more in college settings, Mm -hmm. which is actually a little bit late because the average age of first intercourse in the United States is 15 to 16, right? So by the time kids are getting to college, most of them are already sexually active. And so you've missed out on that opportunity. And a lot of parents also wait until too late to start having these conversations with their kids. They wait because they feel awkward. They're not sure how to do it. And, you know, if you're missing out on that opportunity to catch them before they become sexually active, then you increase the odds that they're going to take sexual risks and that bad things might happen. Mm. Yeah, that was one of the biggest uh, mind blowing like aha moments when I when I in my own curiosity about what is age appropriate sex ed and in just like realizing the huge role it could play and avoiding like childhood sexual trauma, not avoiding, but, but mitigating some of the harm or at least putting empowering kids to like have this language, Mm. um, and ability to speak about their experiences comfortably and without, without shame. And that That, is a super important point that if you equip people with the communication skills, they can report sexual assault or abuse and that can potentially stop future victimization from happening because it gets reported Mm. Um, because we know that a lot of kids are sexually abused and sometimes it's repeat abuse (laughs) by the same offender. And so by equipping kids with the communication skills, you can actually help to report and prevent abuse in that way. Mm. I feel like, I feel like more people need to know that. And we're probably chatting in a, in a bit of an echo chamber in terms of our audience. They, they kind of know that, but we're still, we're still trying to do our part in helping them source, um, tools, source the teachers in, in Canada, especially that are sort of reforming sex education. Mm, yeah. Cause I mean, they, I, even up here, there's still lots of work to be done. You know, yeah. Totally. I mean, Canada is doing a better job mm. than the U S when it comes mm. to sex ed, but they're still not, you know, where the Netherlands are. So actually when I do my study abroad course, we kind of do like this multi-country comparison where we look at the U S and Canada and the Netherlands and some other countries. And it's, it's a really mixed bag and Mm. the evidence is all very clear. You know, the more comprehensive the approach, the better off our kids are going to be. So maybe we can move back to this, the topic of fantasy, because I know Jeremy Jeremy hasn't read the book. I, I have, but we did chat with, um, um, 
Stella Harris not too long ago. And I know you chatted with her. She has a book called the ultimate guide to threesomes, Mm -hmm. which is the number one fantasy as, as reported. Is it, Um, is that the number one? That's what I've been dying to know this whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I surveyed more than 4,000 Americans. They came from all 50 States ranged in age from 18 to 87 span the political divide, uh, represent diverse genders and sexual orientations. And what I found when you look at people's favorite fantasy of all time, threesome was the number one thing that people mentioned more than a third of my participants. Like when they uh. had to summarize their favorite fantasy in just one word said threesome. And when you looked uh. at whether people had ever had a threesome fantasy, even if it's not their favorite, it's more than 90% of men and women who say they fantasized about it before. Wow. Oh, I, I mean, I, I'm, I am not surprised. Uh, and, but also I, for, I, for some reason I now feel very, very, uh, plain. I feel very, I I feel (laughs) like I'm just another one of the, I'm just a sheep joining the herd. Uh, cause yeah, I think that's definitely, I would definitely be one of those, one of those people that, that list that is probably my number one, number one fantasy. But what's interesting about threesomes being the favorite fantasy is that it's also the fantasy that's least likely to turn out well when people actually do it Ah, in person. Uh, So yeah, lots of people are turned on by the idea, but not everyone has positive experiences actually having a threesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which, which again, coming back to Stella Harris, the importance of that book, it's, it's a great guide. If you want to ensure that you are having the best possible experience, uh, in, in terms of the communication and and all the things that planning. go along with that. Planning, yes, <laughs> yes, the logistics of it. Um, uh, it. Was there any, I mean, like, was was that, did that come, I, I feel like that must not have come as a surprise to you or 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 did it? And, and if it didn't, out of your research, was there anything that did kind of, um, kind of make you stop in your tracks and go, oh, wow, I would not have considered that? I think as kind of a veteran sex researcher at this point, there isn't a lot that surprises me about sex. Like the things that surprise me are different from what surprises the average person about sex. But when you're looking at common fantasy themes, like you're seeing the multi-partner sex, the the BDSM and rough sex, doing something that's taboo or something that's just novel and exciting, um, a a lot of sort of self-exploration, like a lot of people have fantasies about kind of pushing the boundaries of their gender role or expression or sort of playing with their sexual orientation in a way, you know, for Mm. example, I found that more than half of all women who identified as exclusively heterosexual had a same sex fantasy and about a quarter of men who said they were exclusively heterosexual had a same sex fantasy. Right. Mm. So we see there's a lot of adventure in people's fantasies. Um, But if you're talking about something that surprised me, there was one, like new fantasy that I encountered that I had never heard of before. And it was the human cow fantasy. Uh, It was this woman who described her favorite fantasy as being tied up in the center of town, being force fed hormones that would make her lactate continuously. And then people would come and milk her and have sex with her whenever they wanted. And I had never encountered this fantasy before. So it piqued my curiosity. I did some research and found that there are hundreds of Hugh Cow porn videos on tube sites. There are dozens of Hugh Cow erotic fiction novels on Amazon. Like, so it, it it's a niche sexual interest. I wouldn't say it's common, but you know, 
some people do have it. And I thought it was really fascinating to kind of do that deep dive and explore what does this mean? You know, what's the deeper psychology behind this fantasy? Whoa, HUCOW, like H-U-C-O-W? Yeah, that's the acronym. So, you know, human cow is the full name, HUCOW for short, if you're in the know. Oh, I am. Now I'm so glad I'm in the know now. I'm going to be checking (laughs) that out for sure. That's fascinating. I've had, yeah, I've never heard of that before. That's really interesting. I have some... Yeah, go, go, go ahead. I got, I got something to throw at you here because we got this. Uh, we got an email from someone who who may be a future guest on the show, and I'm just going to read a little snippet from her um, from her message. She's a sex oh, worker. Oh, I know what this is. Yeah, she says yeah. she um, she runs a a giantess Instagram account, um, and it. She said the giantess fa- fantasy is all about feeling powerless and tiny. Uh, through custom videos and role play chatting, my customers and fans like to be crushed under my feet, under my butt, between my boobs, or even eaten alive. They like to see me destroy cities and fart on tiny people. Some like gore and some dream being shat on. So. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like one of my favorite movies to watch. You know, like I, I'm that, that sounds like a great Friday night flick. <laughs> you know, I actually wrote an article for Playboy several years ago that was all about giantess porn because I I forget when this was 2015 or so like giantess was one of the, you know, top growing searches on Pornhub at that point in time. And so I kind of did this deep dive and I believe the technical name for it is called macrophilia where it's, it's sort of this fetishization of size. And it usually goes along with these big BDSM themes, right? Where the, giant or giantess is dominating the other partners in in some way and it could be eating them consuming them or um uh you know having their way with them but it's it's often about those themes of dominance and submission and it sometimes goes along with verarophilia which is that erotic appeal of being eaten alive by another person or creature Mm -hmm. um And sometimes that also takes the form of, you know, like an individual being reverse birthed, right? So they're essentially consumed by a woman's vagina. And I actually saw a a demonstration of this the other day. One of the shows I binge watched during quarantine was American Gods. And in, I think the very first episode, uh, one of the women who is a goddess um, does this act of Verarophilia, where she consumes men through her vagina. So it was really fascinating to see the embodiment of that on screen. Turn Me On Podcast will be back after this short break. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. One thing that, I, that I'm really curious to know is and and um you know if this is if this isn't in your realm feel free to let me know but do do you like through the research that you've done specifically into fantasy do you have um how do i word this what what are your thoughts on on folks who are who might have a fantasy and are curious to follow through with it but are unsure of whether or not it's uh, you know a, a good idea or or something that they actually really want. Like, do you have any do you have any advice for for people who who have have a long standing fantasy and and might want to explore it in reality, but but don't quite know how? Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on that. And so Wonderful. I think a good starting point is to first work toward self-acceptance because there's usually sh- so much shame and embarrassment and anxiety that's tied up in people's fantasies, especially if they think they're rare or uncommon or really taboo. And in fact, I find that in my own research. I ask people, you know, what are the emotions that come to mind when you think about your favorite fantasy? And also, how common do you think your fantasy is in the population? And the rarer people thought their fantasy was, the more shame and guilt they felt, the less likely they were to share it with a partner or act on it. So I think you need to start first with the self-acceptance piece. And that's a lot of what my book does is to help you understand how your fantasies, odds are, are the same things that most other people are fantasizing about. And so once you get to that point of self-acceptance, then you can think about opening the lines of communication. Now, just because you have a fantasy doesn't mean that you should necessarily act on it. I think it's important to do a risk-reward analysis when it comes to acting on a given fantasy. So what are the things that could be a potential positive if you did this, like enhanced arousal and pleasure and excitement? And then what are the things that could go wrong? Like somebody could get hurt or jealousy might emerge or or something like that. So you have to think through what are the risks and rewards? And then for the potential risks, what steps can I take to mitigate them? So for example, if it's a threesome fantasy and you're going to explore this with a current partner, it's figuring out how do you manage that potential for jealousy to emerge. And a resource I like to recommend for that, it's called the Jealousy Workbook. And it's exercises that partners can do together to think about how are they going to react and respond in a jealousy inducing situation? And Mm. if you have a bit of practice with that beforehand, then you can reduce the risk that it's going to become something that totally kills the mood and, you know, destroys everything. Mm. I think it's also really important for any fantasy, go slow, right? Dip your toes in the water and really work on that sexual communication. Mm. Talk about it a lot beforehand during the act. And then also afterwards, I think with fantasies, 
you often need to practice them a few times to perfect them. So, you know, just because you try a threesome once and it doesn't go well, doesn't mean a threesome could never be good for you. Maybe there are things you could do differently to make it better next time. So think about it as a process Mm. (laughs) and that there's a little bit of practice Mm. um, that's needed to make a fantasy perfect. What about, this is something that's come up on the show a couple of times in the past. And I know it's one of those things that like, I mean, I'm assuming for sure it's one of those fantasies that carries a lot of shame and like confusion. And for some people probably, uh, probably carries a lot, carries a lot of, especially if they don't have this fantasy, carries a lot of confusion and like maybe discomfort even with the thought of it. But, um, your thoughts around like rape fantasy, because I know that this is something that isn't uncommon. Um, and, Yet it's it's one of those things where you know if it maybe you're someone who's never heard of that term before, it might immediately bring up these feelings or thoughts of like, well, that's that's just like inherently bad. That's a that's not okay. That's not an okay thing. And of course, for someone who does have that fantasy and wants to explore that fantasy, knowing that that is how a lot of people might interpret that fantasy probably makes it quite hard for that person to find like acceptance in this idea that it's okay to have those, those thoughts or those desires in your fantasy. What, what, what's like, what is the psychology behind rape fantasy? And, and, and can you unpack that a little bit? Yeah. So these fantasies, they're sometimes called forced sex fantasies. I think that's the term I tend to use most often in my book. Sure. And I find that Actually, most people, regardless of gender, have had a forced sex fantasy before. Women have them more than men, but actually a majority of the men that I surveyed had these fantasies, which tells us this is a super common thing and and so common, in fact, as to almost be a normative type of sexual fantasy. I think what's really going on there is that this is ultimately a variant of BDSM. It's, It's a form of consensual power exchange, and it's not really about rape or sexual assault. And so I don't like the term rape fantasy. I think the term that I tend to prefer is it's a consensual non-consent fantasy, Mm. right? Where everything that's happening is consensual, but you're just not making the consent portion. Like you're, you're as, as obvious, I guess, if you will. Mm -hmm. And, you know, another way to think of it is when you have these fantasies, what's happening in your head is totally consensual. You choose who your partner is, the terms under which it takes place, how it starts, how it ends, right? So in your head, it is consensual. But this is one of those fantasies where I see people have a lot of trepidation when it comes to acting on it, because when you bring another partner in to enact this fantasy, you're giving up some control to the other person. And so it requires a really great degree of trust and communication and advanced negotiation with the other person if you're thinking about engaging with these fantasies in some way. Mm. I love that. And I, I, it, I don't know if you were, your mind went here too, Jeremy, but, um, you mentioned in your book, like seeking counsel or help if you have fantasies that are risky is one word that you use. I can't remember the other one you used. Um, but, fantasies that acting upon would, would, would be cause harm. Um, 
and your thoughts on on how to deal with those and and why and how as a society we've actually like made it harder for people with those types of fantasies to to get help um i found super helpful and interesting Mm. um if you could speak to that that would be great yeah when it comes to acting on fantasies of course you should only act on fantasies that are safe sane and consensual that doesn't mean that you know every fantasy is going to be totally risk-free right because anytime you engage in any sexual activity there's going to be some risk that comes along with it so another way to think about this is risk aware kink is is a term that a lot of people use so it's being informed of the risks taking steps to mitigate them and making sure that everything is consensual now if you have a fantasy that you find to be really distressing because let's say, for example, it's a non-consensual fantasy and you're afraid that you might act on it. That's a time when it's really important to seek professional help and counseling to figure out strategies for how not to make that a fantasy a reality because not every fantasy should be a reality. So if it's something that poses an unacceptable risk of harm to you or others or it's non-consensual, seek help in managing and navigating that. And working with a sex therapist can be a great way to go. Uh, I recommend looking for a therapist who is certified by the American Association for Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists, or ASECT for short, because these people are trained in sex positive research and education and have the tools to help you work through those types of complex sexual issues. Mm. Yeah, thank you. Um, I had a similar question as Jeremy did is is, is there anything that surprised you but since he already asked that I'm I'm kind of wondering what what's next in terms of your research and Mm -hmm. what like what has this led you to you said that it's a never-ending pool of data and information and well not a never-ending pool you got to create the data but what's got your What's got your curiosity next? Yeah, so there are literally millions of data points <laughs> in that one study. And there's a lot there. And I'm still finding new things in the data. Um, you know, so I have this book that I wrote that's a really extensive deep dive, but there are, it, it wasn't possible to analyze everything in it. And sometimes when you ask questions, they beget more questions. And so I've also realized that there are things that I neglected to ask in that original survey that I want to ask now. And so one of them that I've been thinking about is what is the mental perspective that people take when they have a sexual fantasy? And this is a question that you both can answer. So when you fantasize, is it that you are seeing things out of your own eyes from a first person perspective, right? Where you're engaged actively in that fantasy Or are you watching it from a third person perspective where it's like you're watching a movie unfold and you're a character in that movie? That was not something I asked about on the original survey, but it's something that now every time I talk about fantasies, I want to ask people. And the reason I say this is because when I originally designed that survey, you know, this was my own bias creeping into it, which, you know, I think it's important for researchers to recognize, you know, the ways that their own worldviews might shape, um, you know, how they're approaching their work. So I just kind of assume that people 
envision their fantasies in the same way that I did. And I tend to take more of that third person perspective, right? Where I'm watching a movie. That's also how I dream at night. You know, that's the way that I see my inner world. It's a movie and I'm a character in it. So, um, you know, that's something I want to explore in, in the future. And I did an unscientific Twitter poll to figure out, you know, which perspective are people taking? And I found that, you know, people are pretty all over the board where sometimes it's first person for some people, other times it's third person. Some people switch and go back and forth. So how do you experience your fantasies? I don't think I have ever done it in third person. It's, I, I, I think I only exclusively live a life of first person views. Oh God, what does that say about me? Oh, no. I know. And that's the big oh, no. question. That's what the follow-up <laughs> oh, study is going to need to be for. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Like I even, I, and even when you said you dream in third person, I, I don't, um, I don't ever have that. I, I think I've, I only see things through like the, the first person kind of vantage point, especially, when, especially when it comes to fantasizing. Like, um, like if I'm, if I'm, if I'm, yeah, if I'm masturbating to my own, like, my own visual cinema with my eyes closed. It's first person, 100%. Brad, what about you, Brad? Does that, do you, do you have a... Yeah, I, I'm i definitely an active player. And also too, I think with my fantasies, they're, they rarely have like a beginning and a middle. And like there's rarely a story involved. It's usually like a flash of images mm. or I'm grabbing on to images mm. that I have in my, in my bank. Um, that being said... I, 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 I find that erotic literature where I'm not involved in the story at all to be a huge turn on. And, mm. um, I, I, I don't know if that counts as fantasy cause it's not imagination, but I, I like to be a voyeur of the people having sex in er- er- erotic literature when I read mm. it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm thinking about all the ways that, you know, the way you picture your fantasy, you know, what does that mean more broadly about your sexuality? So, you know, if it is more watching a movie, is that related to more voyeuristic type interests? Mm. If you're a character in it, like essentially where you're watching yourself, are you seeing yourself as the object of desire in that fantasy? Um, versus if you're seeing it from a first person perspective, the other person or persons are your, the objects of desire essentially, right? Mm. So there's all kinds of ways that you could relate this to psychology and speak more broadly about human sexuality and also look at potential cultural influences, right? So if you're looking at it more as a movie versus first person perspective, is that shaped by more exposure to, to media, right? right? All kinds of interesting questions to explore there, but no one's ever asked the questions before. So we yeah. don't know what the answers are. Yeah. And it, it also kind of makes me wonder what I, because this, this is one of those things that I, I, I've never even thought about. Right. So what, what, but now, now I'm going to think about it and I'm going to try it. Like what, what happens now if I start to incorporate a little more <laughs> third person action into my, into my, into my fantasy? Because I mean, in my reality, th- this, and this probably isn't that interesting, but it's kind of interesting to me right now in this moment, in my reality, I just moved into a new condo and, and in my bedroom, there's a wall to wall mirror uh, um, closet. Like it's full length wall to wall mirror. And I'm having so much more. I'm, I'm going out of my way to be having sex and watching the whole scene. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I've had sex in front of mirror, like, here and there in like an odd room 
it throughout my life. But like, this is a, this is like, you can't escape it. It's, it's, you're either looking at you and your partner through your own eyes, or it's this, uh, it's this, it's this completely different viewpoint where you're seeing everything in this, through this, you know, this giant screen. And it's, it is hella exciting. Like it is, it has, it has ramped up my, my, um, I mean, the excitement of the sex is just like so much more intense with this giant mirror. So now I'm like, oh, well, fuck, if it's doing that in my real life, like I, I, I got to bring that mirror into my fantasies. Yeah. It, it's a totally extra stimulus that you, know, yeah. you don't normally get in, in partnered sex. And it, it, it makes a lot of sense what you're describing. And, mm-hmm. you know, I would also add that there's no right or wrong way to fantasize if you do first person or third person or you do both of them. Yeah. But there's also no harm in, you know, mixing it up and trying different things. People are inherently turned on by and titillated by novelty. And mm-hmm. so, you know, if you're finding your fantasy life to feel a little stale or routine, try mixing it up. I'm so excited about this. I, I, I feel like I'm left. I want to really want to ask this question. Is there a similar book published with data from the Netherlands? And if not, <laughs> do you like, do you think if it were done that you, how do you think the findings would be different? Oh gosh. So the last time I taught my study abroad course there, someone from the Netherlands reached out to me because they had done some type of study like this in the Dutch population looking at people's fantasies, but it's written in Dutch. And so I can't read it. Mm-hmm. So I need to wait for the English translation to come out. I can't, the title of the book is escaping me off the top of my head, but I do know that there has been something that's been done. And you know, what the researcher told me was that there were actually a lot of parallels in the findings. And I have done a little bit of cross-cultural research. Uh, I actually gave a presentation last summer at the International Academy for Sex Research virtual meeting, where I presented a talk on sexual fantasies on six continents. And so I looked at data that I had from people in different world regions to see how much commonality there is in our fantasies. And you do see that there is a lot of similarity in the most and least common sexual fantasies, but there is a little bit of variation. Like for example, in Europe, there's more BDSM fantasies. Didn't particularly surprise me, uh, you know, having been to Germany a few times and, um, you know, seeing the the scene there and the difference and acceptance of diverse sexual practices and kink, like I'm, you know, not surprised by that. Um, and, you know, that's not just true in Germany, but in uh, other countries in Europe as well. But so there are some of those differences, but actually where I see the biggest difference cross-culturally is in the other people who appear in your fantasies. So for example, in my U.S. data, I find that most people are fantasizing about white partners. And when you look at Asian Americans in particular, they're predominantly fantasizing about white partners, right? They fantasize about white partners at the same rate that white people do, right? So there's this strong outgroup preference. But when I look at people who live in Asian cultures, they're primarily fantasizing about other Asian partners. And I think that really speaks to the ways that our culture shapes our sexuality and what is considered to be attractive. And in the United States, there are all of these negative stereotypes about Asians and sexuality, where, for example, Asian men are stereotyped as asexual or as having small penises, and they're not sexually valued. But, you know, that I think is a form of racism that creeps into our fantasies and subtly shapes 
what our turn-ons are. And that's part of the value in looking at fantasies and sex through this cross-cultural lens. So perhaps we should try diversifying the people in our fantasies as a way of dismantling racism and our and our sexual identities. I love that. I can't I, wait yes. to I can't yeah. wait to put that into practice. <laughs> I never even thought about that. Third person orgies with everyone from around the world. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I mean, I'm just I, I'm I'm building up the bank here. This is great. I I, I, something that I'm I, out of out of. Um, just out of curiosity with the the work that you were referring to earlier about um about uh sex education uh overseas have you heard have you heard of this danish show that recently came out john dillermond you know i have some passing familiarity with it <laughs> wait is that is that about the guy with the really long penis yeah yeah yes. it's about okay. this man it, it, yeah it stands for it, i think it translates to john wiener man and he, his whole thing is that he has like this magical penis that can basically sh- help people strength, strength or strength, uh, um, uh, stretch to like unimaginable lengths. And he's basically just going around town, like doing good deeds for the folks around town with his penis, which, which is like, I, you know, obviously there's a lot of people that think it's wholly inappropriate, but I don't know. I, I thought it was, an, I just thought it was such a fascinating I mean, that's definitely a cartoon that would never fly over here in in North no. America. <laughs> Absolutely not. But definitely I think not. that that is an example of just how different things are viewed when it comes to sex across yeah. cultures. And that's one of the things that I love about traveling is just kind of seeing the, the differences in sexuality. Like, mm. so for example, the last time I was in Berlin, like I picked up some, you know, magazines and bars and in the back of them, like they've got this whole listing of the sex parties that are happening. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you're thinking about sex parties in the U.S., they're usually these things that happen like late at night. Uh, you know, people can't go out and do it during the day and it's, mm-hmm. you know, secretive and underground. But in Germany, like they're very efficient and they've got sex parties like every hour on the hour and like different themes. And like one of the most fascinating things was like this one place had like regular after work fisting parties and i'm just like wow an after work fisting party like you just you wouldn't see that like in the united states now i didn't go and explore these parties but just like seeing the the fact that it's so open and accessible and there's so many parties like all during the day like here's the lunchtime party you can go to the after work party in the evening party. like sex doesn't just have to be limited to this late night activity and i think that that's actually a valuable lesson in and of itself like in the u.s people think about sex as like the last thing you do at night before you go to bed and then people are tired and all that other stuff. Yeah. And it, view of sex. Like, I love that because what you're, what you're saying is it sort of takes it off that pedestal and like normalizes it as an everyday way to like express yourself, to have pleasure, to connect with other people. Blow and- off steam after work with a good old fisting. Yeah, totally. <laughs> And for well, us, depending on how your day was, yeah, you know, people yeah, right. might want different roles in that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I love that. That makes me really missing travel in a mm. huge, huge way right now. Yeah. And I also love traveling and looking at how sex toys are different in different cultures. Like mm. that in and of itself. Could, you know, I could write a whole book on that. Yeah. I bet. What's the coolest sex toy you've ever seen? <laughs> um oh man i mean 
Well, just a, a travel-based observation. Like, I think it's really interesting looking at sex toys in Japan because they don't look like sex toys. They look yeah. more like works of art. Yeah. And they're things that you can have sitting around your house and no one would know that it was a sex toy. Like, it's it's like a stealth sex toy, yeah, totally. if you will. Um, whereas in the U.S., you know, a lot of the sex toys are very, like, overt, designed to mimic a specific body part. And so, you know, that in and of itself is one kind of interesting difference but when you're talking about sex toys and like what's fascinating and interesting like i love all the novel technologies that people are putting in sex toys now with the remote controlled aspects and how you can connect with a partner long distance and you know for example have a virtual threesome where you're all stimulating each other with <laughs> with toys even though you're not like physically present in the same room so i just think it expands and opens <laughs> up so many new opportunities for pleasure and connection. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh man. I am so, I have so, I've written down so many things that I just can't wait to explore, um, more, but I'm wondering if you could tell me a little bit, um, about what it's like being a part of the Kinsey Institute and, Mm. um, like what, what's that look like? What are your collaborations or your colleagues bringing to your life and your research? So it's funny whenever people hear, the Kinsey Institute name, like they sort of get this idea in their head of what it's like. And it must be like this amazing sex museum or something like that. But if you actually visited it, you would see like, oh, it's like, these are just offices where people happen to study sex. (laughs) And so the the mythology of the, the Kinsey Institute, you know, doesn't quite match up with the reality, but the people who are there are super smart and fascinating. And we collaborate together on a variety of studies. One of the things we've been working on for the last year is looking at how COVID is changing people's sex lives and relationships. So we did this massive seven-month study where we surveyed more than 2,000 people repeatedly over time to look at what's happening, how are things changing, who's doing really well, who's struggling, and how can we help the people who are maybe having a tougher time right now. But we have researchers who study everything. There are biologists, psychologists, anthropologists. It's a very interdisciplinary group of people, which is also kind of cool, which means you have different people approaching sex from very different perspectives. So Mm. it's a very intellectually stimulating environment. I bet. What I'm, if, I'm, st- I'm still gonna I'm still gonna imagine it as the Hogwarts of the sex. sex. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, speaking of Hogwarts, like I can't tell you how many Hogwarts sex fantasies I've oh, heard over totally. the years. Totally, yeah, totally. I mean, I, I feel like anything with like with with a real deep um, uh, uh, um, fan fiction sort of sort of uh, backing is like is pretty pretty huge in the fantasy world, you know. Can well, I tell you my favorite Hogwarts fantasy I've heard? Oh, yeah. Yes, 100%. please. Story <laughs> time. Please do. So it was a, a woman who wrote this fantasy to me. And she, in the fantasy, is a witch in training at Hogwarts. And she is working with um, Severus Snape. And basically the way her fantasy unfolds is that Severus Snape and Lucius Malfoy <laughs> start like touching each other and like she's watching them (laughs) interact sexually from afar and then she gets invited to join and it becomes a threesome with you know these two wizards and a witch and it just has these very fantastical elements but you know one of the big things that turned her on was when the wizard's wands touched uh so (laughs) yeah i love it i love it that's so fun it's so exciting 
there's again, already so much built-in imagery too I know, with I know. with fan fiction. Yeah. Like I can definitely so mm. give me some Alan Rickman any day in my <laughs> yeah. fantasies. Honestly, yeah. Professor Snape. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, Justin, this has been uh, really, really fun to sit down and get to hear uh, just, I mean, just a, a sliver of the work that, that you're doing. And uh, it really does mean a lot to us. And, and I, I know that our listeners are, are really going to enjoy this. So thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to sit down and, and shoot the shit with us. Thanks for having me. Always happy to talk about sex. And if anyone listening wants to learn more, I run a blog and podcast called Sex and Psychology at sexandpsychology.com. And I got regular updates for you. And sometimes they're about fantasies, but sometimes it's just the the sex ed that you never got before that you really need. Beautiful. I love that. Thank I just so I just subscribed to your podcast. I just discovered it. So I haven't listened yet, but I'm I'm following along. I'm here. I'm here for it as <laughs> Listen to the cuckolding episode. I think you'll like that one in particular. That's our homework assignment for next week. Done. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks so much. Well, there you have it, folks. That was our conversation with Dr. Justin Lee Miller from the Kinsey Institute. And uh, so glad we were able to sna- snatch him up as a guest. I mean, he's a big deal. He seems like a pretty big deal. He looked like a big deal. He did, yeah. Yeah, he does. He, he, looks- he, had, that, he had that vibe of like, I'm a big deal, but also I'm at home and I can wear fucking sweatpants and a hat and yeah. also look like I run the fucking show kind of boyish looking Mm, mm -hmm. yeah it's cute yeah (laughs) well hopefully he'll listen to this and he'll be flattered (laughs) um yeah i had a lot of fun with that with that conversation i was really grateful that uh we had the time to do that i got another text from my mom you were mortified (laughs) 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 absolutely (laughs) um all right folks uh thanks for tuning in we love you all again uh turn me on podcast uh at gmail.com I said again, as if we said that earlier in the show, we didn't, but that's our email address if you want to reach out. Uh, and what I meant to say was, again, patreon.com slash termion is where you can find exclusive content like merch, stickers, t-shirts, uh, and where you mugs can or just some shit. Do, do us a, a really huge uh, uh, benefit in like buying us a cup of coffee yeah, a just, month. Just give us your money. <laughs> give us your money. Um, and also, you can also give us uh, your money if you sign up for our workshop. That's coming up oh, on yeah. March 28th Yay. at 2 p.m. Eastern. Um, it is called Human Connection Through Touch. You can find, uh, you can book your spot. Um, there'll be a link in the show notes. There'll be a link in the bio on our Instagram. Um, mm-hmm. And you will receive a couple of hours with pee breaks, I promise, of guided um, techniques in in really gentle, hands-on stuff to do with a partner, with a loved one, with your grandma, with your mom, um, to give and receive just some really gentle touch that is so, mm-hmm. so comforting and so healing. I honestly, we were talking about my health over the last couple of months. I swear that just having... Um, someone put their hands on my feet for a few minutes every day brought me it just grounded me so much in my anxiety and discomfort and so if you're experiencing anything like that 
I promise you that these that this this couple of hours will leave you feeling uh, just a little more able to relax and rejuvenated. Yeah, spa like. All right. Well, uh, that is it for this week, folks. It sure is. Until next week. We'll give yourself some love, some tender love and joy. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.